You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I want to say to you first and foremost, I love you and miss you. I was thinking just a moment ago, as a 19-year-old pastor, my very first church was about 50 miles from where my home was. And I remember that, that drive every Sunday morning. And I was always excited to go and preach to God's people. But I remember being excited about seeing my brothers and sisters in Christ, shaking their hands and hugging their necks and just being with them in, in, in fellowship. And so this morning, that's a, a missing component to this equation. And I hope that you feel, as I do, that... Um, what a beautiful thing we have together as, as a, a community of faith, as a church. And we're looking forward to that day when we can be back together. But in the meanwhile, let's hear a word from the Lord. And if you have your copy of Scripture, I'm going to ask you to turn to the 14th chapter of Mark. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is to keep your Bible open because I'm going to try to cover this whole chapter, 72 verses, in 25 minutes. And don't laugh, don't laugh. I, I think I can do it, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to the end of the passage and I want to read to you a familiar passage, a familiar story that summarizes, I believe, what's going on in this entire chapter. And that is failure. The disciples failing one time after another, making the wrong choices, not trusting in Jesus as they ought to. But from this chapter that is filled with failure, what we begin to see is grace. That the love of Jesus is so strong that in spite of all these mistakes, all of these setbacks and failures, uh, his love is still so evident all the way to the cross. So let's hear, beginning in verse 66, Mark 14, verse 66, we're going to hear about grace for those who fail. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray together. Lord, from this very sad episode in Peter's life, God, we see how we do fail very often, but Lord, I thank you that your love is so good and that you care for us even when we fail. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God had a plan. What a great word for us to hear today. God has a plan. When we see so much in our lives that's not normal, when things do seem rather chaotic, it's good to know that God had a plan and has a plan even today. From the beginning of time, God had a plan to redeem his creation from the power of death and sin. As we come to this passage, we realize that God knew all along that Peter would fail. And if you have ever failed, and brother or sister in Christ, you know you have. We all have at some point fallen short of the glory of God. Know this, when you have fallen short, God knew it ahead of time. And he has provided grace for you from the very start. 
We are just a few weeks away from Easter. I know that's hard for us to imagine with cold and rainy weather here in this part of Missouri, but Easter is coming. And what we need to remember is, as we approach approach Easter, is that God sent his only begotten son to this world to deliver us, not just from failures in some abstract sense, but from our sins. He died on the cross for our sins and rose again, and we need to remember that. But keep in mind today, as we're going through this 14th chapter of Mark's gospel, the path to the cross of Christ is paved with our sins. All the way to that cross as Jesus walked, he was was walking towards that cross because of our sinfulness. And we need to remember that. You know, as I come to this chapter, I'm reminded that just some days don't seem to go very well at all. Have you ever had one of those days where it seemed like from the moment you got out of bed, every decision you made, every step you took was in the wrong direction? Well, that's the 14th chapter of Mark's gospel. Everywhere you look, you see the disciples making mistakes, making tragic errors. And so from this passage, what we see is not just the mistakes we make as believers, but we also see how God gives grace to us in spite of those failures. You see, God uses broken people like us. And that is the message of the gospel. He's not looking to use a perfect person because none of us fit that description. He uses us even in our brokenness. The cross of Jesus Christ saves failures like us so that we can have a forever home in heaven. And so today, what we're going to see as we look at these failures, we're also going to see how those failures just acknowledge for us or help us to acknowledge in our own hearts that yes, we need help. But what a great truth that we can hear from this passage that Jesus gives help and grace to those who need it most. The first thing I want to point out to you in our passage is in verses 1 through 9. So if you have your copy of scripture, open to verses 1 through 9. And let's look very briefly on how we can fail in our worship. Just to set the stage for you, our chapter begins on the Tuesday before Good Friday. And the chief priests and scribes have decided that Jesus must die. And their only concern is not true justice. But as you get a feel here in Mark's gospel and the other gospels, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that the optics, that the political implications are covered. They're just contriving to kill Jesus. So Jesus's death at this point is not a question of if, it is more a question of when. But in the midst of all this, Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper. This is very specific language and very specific history that Mark wants to give us here. He's in Bethany having dinner. Look there in verse three. And it's interesting uh, how in this moment, when Jesus has so many things on his mind, A woman comes to him, look at verse 3, with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. What a beautiful moment of worship. Everyone could see it, right? Everybody could realize that this was one of the most precious moments of worship. Surely the disciples would see that. No doubt. But yes, it is true. They missed it completely. The ones who should have realized how awesome this moment was were indignant, we are told. In verses 4 and 5, it seems that they, they agree with Judas and, and that idea that the money could have been given to the poor. 
the story is told in all four Gospels. And though the details vary slightly, the consistent message is this, that the disciples in general, and Judas in particular, heaped scorn on this act of worship. Note there in verse 5 where it says they scolded her. That word scold means to snort. If you've ever been around a horse and, and, and heard a, a horse who was agitated snort, that's kind of the imagery here, that they were snorting and scolding at her. This woman couldn't have even known the full implications as Jesus understood them. You see, Jesus says this. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Does Jesus have concern for the poor? Of course. And in this passage, it seems like that, that the main focus on Judas's part and the disciples is for the poor. But, but we know that Judas's concerns were really not about the poor. Jesus cares about the poor. But what he wants people to realize is, is that he is only there for a little while. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing for you always. Verse 7, have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But the idea here is, you won't always have me. Now we can, as Christians today, when we gather together, I believe where two or three are gathered, and that's about all we have here today, but where two or three are gathered, Christ is with us. But in the very physical sense, Jesus was saying, I won't always be with you. Now I want to just pause for a moment. I want you to think about this. Worship is truly a matter of the heart. Where is your heart? I know that you're not in this room with me, and I know that this isn't normal, but you can still have the heart of worship It is so important for us to realize that one of the areas where the devil wants us to trip up is in our worship life. Now, if we look at the at the Gospels, we see that from the beginning of Jesus's life, people were bringing him gifts. The wise men brought gifts in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. We also see at the end of his life, uh, a moment of costly treasures being poured out upon Jesus, literally in this sense here in this chapter. It's interesting to me that, that when you look throughout the scriptures, there are moments where we see very interesting gifts to Jesus. Do you remember the widow's might in Mark chapter 12, verse 44, that beautiful story of sacrificial giving? And here we have another example of sacrificial giving, only it's a lot. So the widow's might is a little, and this uh, alabaster flask of ointment is a lot. And in both instances, people were being critical of the worship of these ladies. Know this, if you are worshiping the Lord with all your heart, there will be people out there who are critical. Jesus deserves the best we have to offer. And when we give it, church, there will be some around us who are critical. The world will always find a reason to criticize Christian worship. The world will say it's too little or too much. But what they fail to see is how Jesus guides us. We need to become a gospel witness. Those who have been given much are required to be a gospel witness. And we do that through our worship. We do that through our lives. Let me say this to you. Before you can do ministry, you must learn to be a worshiper of Jesus. In this season when we can do so little ministry out there, Friends, this is the time for the church to really become worshipers. We can be worshipers even if we're quarantined, even if we're not able to get out like we normally do. We can't do what we normally do, but we can be worshipers of God. I want to encourage you to do that. The second thing I want to show you is is that we can uh, uh, fail to have faith. In this passage, in verses 10 through 25, if you have your scripture open, we'll be kind of running through those verses. Judas Iscariot is obviously the poster child of faith failure. 
to walk with Jesus for these three years and then betray him for 30 pieces of silver as we see there in verses 10 and 11. It's nothing less than scandalous. In Judas, the chief priests finally had their inside man. They could finally connect all the dots and bring Jesus to what they thought was justice, which in fact was nothing similar to justice at all. It was tragedy. It was a miscarriage of justice. But they had their man. And here's what's interesting. When Jesus knows that his betrayer is at hand, look at verses 17 through 21. He shares that with his disciples. But here's what's interesting. The other 11 don't know who it is. You see, we probably would think that everybody would know that it was Judas from the beginning, that there were telltale signs and everybody would have said, of course they're talking about Judas. But the four gospel accounts show us that nobody knew who it was. If Judas was having a spiritual struggle, which he obviously was, He kept it to himself. Here's something to think about, church. Faith failures are not always visible to the naked eye. In fact, human beings are capable of hiding great pain for long periods of time. Don't ever assume that a person that you know is fine and doing well in the Lord. Faith failures are not something we can see with our eyes. We need to have discernment from from God. We need to ask God to open the eyes of our heart so that we can care for one another. John's gospel tells us that Satan entered into Judas, but on the outside, Judas looked the same. John 13, 27 tells us that, that that Satan entered into Judas. And this detail ought to frighten us, friends. Spiritual darkness is not always as obvious as we would like it to be. You can't always feel it. The only way we can know is if we are in Christ, if we are living in faith, in, in faith with Jesus. Judas's motivation here had to be more than money. I think it really was about power and the future. He wanted Jesus to be a worldly leader. He didn't want a spiritual leader. And I think about today how many people, they want to be led. They want a great president or a great leader, but they don't necessarily want a great spiritual leader. That's Judas. Judas fits so well, I think, in our context today where leadership is respected, but spiritual leadership is not always uh, looked up to. It's often looked down upon. This is Judas. But Judas makes the mistake that so many people make. When we lack faith, we put our faith in the things of this world. But what our souls need is not something that's on the outside in the world. Our greatest needs are in the heart. How quickly did four years of economic prosperity go out the window? It just took a couple of weeks for all of the prosperity of our country to come to a grinding halt. Friends, when we lack faith, we put our faith in things in the world. And recently, many of those things that we've been leaning on or trusting in have been taken away from us. Listen to this. A failure of faith will cause us to latch on to things our souls need least. Many of those things have been pulled away from us. I hope that as our culture, many people who do not know Jesus, as those things are pulled away from them, I pray that they will see how desperately they need Jesus. Faith placed in anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ and his grace will lead to utter destruction. In other words, a faith failure leads to the death of your soul. Judas had a faith failure and it cost him his soul. 
We cannot afford to have a faith failure. But in case you think this is just about Judas, this idea of faith failing, I want you to notice, look at the passage. Note the prevalence of the word all. They all, all the disciples, drank the cup with Jesus. Verse 23. They all, verse 31, swear allegiance and they all fall away. Verse 27. And they flee. Verse 50. It wasn't just Judas who had a faith failure. All these men who would be great men of God, they had faith failures. So here's the message. If you, in the weeks recently or at any time in your past, if you've had a faith failure, join the club because we've all been there. The Lord's table, this table here where these men were sitting around, this was not a table of merit. It was a table of grace. It wasn't for for perfect people, just like the church is not for perfect people. It's for people like us who just need Jesus desperately. Our third point is this, we can fail in our prayer life. Now let's move through this one very quickly. A failure of faith that we just talked about is almost always directly connected to a failure in our prayer life. If you'll look with me in verses 32 through 50, you'll see this passage where Jesus asks his disciples to go and pray for them. He loved them all and had cared for them so well throughout the years. And here in this moment, when he needed them praying for him, they fall asleep. Prayer is one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines. We want you to realize that to to pray fervently and consistently and powerfully, you have to truly trust in the Lord. Our flesh rebels against it. I just wonder how many movies we've been watching since we've been in quarantine. I wonder how, how many times we've, we've just wasted our time flipping through Facebook. How hard it is to pray and to pray fervently. It wasn't just the disciples who had this problem. It is us as well. Jesus was going through great agony. He obviously experienced even greater agony on the cross. But I think that maybe spiritually it is here in the garden that he experiences his greatest agony, his greatest difficulty. He cries out, verse 36, to Abba, his daddy. He is hurting so much and all he's asking for is prayer. Notice how Jesus calls him by his old name, calls him Simon It seems like Peter has reverted back to his old ways. What brings this reality most clearly out for us is Peter's lack of prayer, his his willingness to go to sleep. Verse 40 says he had heavy eyelids. What a sad reality here. Here's the rock, Peter the rock, who's not that stable. Friends, there are always going to be times when it's, it, it, it's hard to pray. In fact, I, I would think all the time it's hard to pray. You have to work hard. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, when he comes to them, he doesn't just read them the riot act. He says in verse 41, it is enough. In other words, let's not even talk about this. But it's obvious that these men have failed greatly. And that is such a sad thing. But here, let me say this to you. If you've been failing in your prayers, don't fret about failing in your prayers But just ask God to give you strength to pray more, to pray more fervently, to trust in him and to know that prayer is the answer in every way. A spirit of prayer, though, requires you to be in the spirit. Let me give you this quote from John Bunyan of Pilgrim's Progress fame. He says in his book on prayer, the prayer that goes to heaven is the one that is sent there in the strength 
of the Spirit. And so if you're struggling with your prayer life, friend, believe in the Spirit of God, trust in the Spirit of God, and let the Spirit of God give you the words to say when you don't have those words. Have you failed in prayer? Yes. But you can begin fresh today. You can make a commitment today. You can keep that commitment today to pray and to pray with all your heart, strength, and soul. The final thing we want to look at here, which really takes the majority of the text, is we can fail in our courage. I know a lot of believers who love Jesus, but have uh, come to me many times, and I have felt this way too, that when it comes right down to it, we believe that Jesus died for us, and we believe he rose again, but we're often feeling very guilty because we know in moments when we could have stood up for Christ, when we could have shared Christ, we lack the courage. This chapter, the 14th chapter of Mark's gospel, is just filled to the brim with a lack of courage. And one of the most tragic and memorable scenes from the Gospels is the one I read to you a moment ago where where Peter denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows twice. And here's what's amazing. We're pretty sure that the primary source behind Mark's Gospel was no one else, no one other than Peter himself. Peter chose, I believe, to include this part of the story in Mark because he wanted people to know that he wasn't a perfect leader, that he hadn't always led courageously, that many times he had failed his Lord Jesus and yet Jesus continued to trust in him and and called him to build his church. Jesus loves us and gives us grace. The Bible doesn't cover over our failures, the failures of the great men and women of God, but it shows us that there is hope for those who fail. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not for those who have figured it all out. The gospel is for failures. What a fantastic message that is. What a great message it is to hear when, when right now the devil's maybe telling us, the enemy's telling us, well, you're not out sharing the gospel. You're not doing any ministry. You're just sitting at home. You're a failure. You're not, you're not living for Jesus. Surely there's something that you could be doing for Jesus. Well, the devil loves to beat up on us, but I want to tell you, don't let him make you think that because of your failures, that defines you. No, what defines you is the blood of Jesus. Take courage in the cross. Believe that he is able and willing to give you a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth chance because his love for you is tremendous. As we look through the passage, Jesus had warned Peter about his lack of courage in verses 26 through 31. So even when people say, watch out, your your strength may fail, your spiritual strength may fail, it doesn't matter how much we prepare. In that moment, it's so easy sometimes to just give in to fear and give up on our witness. But it wasn't just Peter. If you look at verses 50 through 52, when the crisis came, the disciples fled. One of them even ran off without his, without his clothes. Um, it's a pretty embarrassing scene. And we think about the times when we, we've maybe tried to step out in faith or we failed to do so and we've looked kind of silly. The enemy loves to highlight when we failed, loves to remind us of those times when we were not strong in the name of Jesus. I know that Jesus' agony in the garden and on the cross was the greatest agony ever, any soul ever experienced. But I want you to think with me for a moment about Peter. I think of all human beings in this world besides, besides Jesus who had to feel like the most miserable failure. It had to be Peter. In this moment when he realizes that Jesus had predicted his failure, had even warned him that it was coming, and yet when the moment came, he did not stand up for Jesus. He was the most miserable of all men. Don't forget, though, that this man who failed so miserably 
is the very one that Jesus still, in John 21, goes up to him and says, feed my sheep. He says it three times, reminding him of Peter's failures, but also reminding him that there is grace for failure. So think about this. If you follow Jesus, it is certain that at some point in your journey, your courage will fail you. There is no doubt. If you're a new Christian, get ready for that. If you're a seasoned Christian, you're saying amen. You know that's true. You will pass up on opportunities to witness. You will fail to stand against the tide of culture and and give in to its sinful passions. But here's another thing to consider. Every church is filled with those who fail. When we get back together, we're going to get back together, and this room will be filled with some of my favorite people in the world who love Jesus and are faithful Christians, but every single one of them at some point has failed their Lord. And yet we come here and we sing and we worship and we give thanks to God, not because we're perfect, not because we're going to heaven because we're perfect, but we sing like that because we believe that a perfect Savior has given us perfect grace. What a beautiful thing the Gospels teach us that the the grace of God is for those who fail. Our enemy wants us to dwell on our failures, friends. Our Lord wants us to lean into and on his grace. I'm going to ask you today, as this rainy day is here, another rainy day during this difficult time, lean into the grace of Jesus. The choice is yours. You can give in to your fear or you can rest in the grace of Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, many of you know, I I love to read his sermons. He was a great preacher, a great man of God. In his book, The Plight of Man and the Power of God, he says this, Man is wrong at the center of his being, and therefore everything is wrong. See, the big problem in every heart is the sin in our hearts. So here's the thing. When we go through this 14th chapter of Mark, It's tempting as human beings, we want to say, well, if I'm good enough, if I'm religious enough, if I do enough good things, I can please God. Well, the 14th chapter of Mark's gospel says, there is not enough good in any of us. We cannot do this in and of ourselves. It's not our merit that saves us. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. What we need is a new nature. We need a radical transformation that only Jesus can give us. And so as we wrap this up, I want to encourage you right now. If you feel like something is wrong, if you feel like something is broken in your life, then the only thing that can fix that is the cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus. Lean into him. Grace is for those who fail. The enemy is going to tell you and remind you again and again of all the times you've failed. But Jesus, look at him, he's on the cross and he's saying, I love you and I've given my life for you. This grace is sufficient for even you. Lean into that grace. Let the love of Jesus transform you. You need a radical transformation of your heart and soul and Jesus gives that to you. If you're ready to receive Christ, it doesn't matter where you are right now, ask Jesus to save you from your sins, knowing that you can't earn this great gift. Receive it from Christ and be saved. I would like to pray with you as we finish today a prayer of intercession for our church, but even well beyond that, our world. We need to pray for one another during this time. Just like the disciples, it is so easy for us to sometimes fail in praying. God's giving you a lot of free time, most likely, in the days to come. And how you spend that time could be the difference for eternity, for many people. In other words, if you waste this time and you do not pray, 
That revival that our hearts, I think, are longing for, we'll miss it. But here is a chance for us to collectively pray. So pray fervently. Will you bow your heads with me wherever you are? Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we want to ask for your grace and peace to be upon those who are at home right now. Maybe some who are home alone and and don't have family around them. That family's elsewhere and, and they're quarantined. They're not able to get out. God, just let them know that they're never alone when you're there with them. God, I pray that they will feel your presence in a powerful way. I think about our our parents, uh, especially the moms right now who have small children who are just beginning to understand that life is very different. I pray that you will give that mom, that dad, courage and strength and wisdom in how to disciple their children through this difficult time. I think of those, Lord, who are unemployed because of this tragedy. And I pray, Lord, that you will provide for them in miraculous ways. We want to ask for those who do have this virus and are very sick, maybe even with the flu or or people who are, are suffering from other physical ailments and they can't have surgeries right now. We pray for your comfort and peace upon those. Lord, I pray for those who just are wanting so bad to get past the depression that is pressing down upon their souls. And God, they just can't seem to do it. Lord, will you encourage them? Will you help them to tune in to sermons or, or to make phone calls to their pastors uh, to, to get encouragement? God, help them. Lord, we pray for our governing authorities that they will have wisdom to know how to stop this virus spreading. God, give strength to our leaders and wisdom. And we pray for our healthcare workers who are at the front line of this battle. We pray that you will keep them safe. And we pray, Lord, that you will keep them strong. And finally, Lord, we pray for revival to come to our land. That people, as we all are having our idols taken away from us, the freedoms that we've taken for granted for years, Lord, we assume that life would just continue the way it's been going on with no problem, with no hitch. And here we are. Everything is upside down. But God, maybe while things are upside down, we'll be looking up to where you are and we'll prioritize our lives and we will be the church like never before. Thank you for Mark 14. Thank you for giving grace to me as a failure. Thank you for giving grace to all of God's people who have failed. And Lord, we're not resting in those failures. We're resting in the cross. We're believing that we're covered by the blood of the lamb and that all things are possible in your name. And so, God, encourage your people during this time. Teach us to pray. Teach us to worship. Teach us to have courage. And, Lord, in the end, we believe that your sovereign hand is going to do a great work during this time, this season of difficulty. Thank you for all those who have made this service possible. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.